Hey, this is Josh. I just wanted to let you know that the annual Pastors Contemplative Prayer Retreat is less than a month away. It's February 13th and 14th. If you're in church leadership and need some rest for your soul here in the middle of our brutal West Michigan winter, come pray with us and spend some time in silence. Info and registration for that retreat can be found at invitationpodcast.org forward slash retreats. Also, if you've been listening to the podcast and are finding it helpful for your inner journey, please consider inviting a friend to the invitation. Just share your story with someone. Talk about how God is shaping and moving you and invite them into this retreat space. And also don't forget to subscribe. We have lots more to share with you. Conversations with Trevor Hudson, Evan Howard, Makoto Fujimura, Lacey Finn Borgo, and retreats from Nathan Foster and Sharon Garlow Brown. So if you subscribe on the invitationpodcast.org site, you'll stay in the loop and not miss out on these next offerings as I'm able to put these episodes together. And you'll find a subscribe button on the bottom of most of the website's pages. Thanks. Hi, this is Josh Banner, and you're listening to The Invitation. In my previous conversation, number six, episode number 16, with Chris Hall of Renovare, Chris described in that conversation that the desert was a sought-after learning space. The desert fathers and mothers intentionally went out of their way to pray and to study because they longed to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Chris and I discussed how Jesus invites us into our own deserts, our own learning spaces to find Jesus. And then in episode 17, I offered you a long format retreat on lamentation so that you can pray through the suffering that is in and around us. Lamentation is the prayer for those in the desert. When we turn into our suffering, when we acknowledge it and offer it to God, we'll experience varying levels of bewilderment. Consider that with me bewilderment. We become bewildered, bewildernessed, if you will. And there is a great tradition of the importance of bewilderment, the importance of suffering, and even of our tears in our journey with God. The Eastern Orthodox Church, in fact, teaches that spiritual tears can be a second baptism. Jesus is our healer and our savior. He wants to come into our lives to redeem and restore us. In the bewilderment of the desert, by the Spirit, we discover an otherworldly clarity, an awareness of our sin sickness, of what is broken and needs repair. The purpose of the Invitation Podcast, then, is to create even a brief learning space for you, to create this space, in fact, with you, 
so you can listen and respond to the movements of the Holy Spirit, who is daily inviting us to a new mercy, a new movement, a next step deeper into the life and love of Jesus. In this conversation I offer you here in this episode, this conversation with Chris Hoke and Niners Garcia, this is very much a continuation of the conversation I'd had with Christopher Hall. Yet the gift here is that Chris and Niners offer us a first-hand example of finding Jesus in the wilderness of a jail in the Skagit Valley of Washington State. Chris Hoke's book is Wanted, A Spiritual Pursuit Through Jail, Among Outlaws, and Across Borders. In this conversation, Chris offers some of the core ideas from his book. But I encourage you to pay close attention to Chris's voice. You'll hear inside of him that these are not just mere ideas. There is a conviction deep inside of Chris Hoke's guts that shapes the scope of his vast vision of the kingdom of God. And that vision, in turn, inspires and motivates his gritty, underground, countercultural ministry. You also hear in Chris a deep respect and affection for his friend Niners. That deference to Niners is a desire to put the transformative witness of God in and through Niners, to put God on display. Niners Garcia was a gangbanger, a violent leader of a violent gang. As you'll hear, this wasn't really a life decision for him. He'd had other dreams, but the circumstances of poverty and the anger of abandonment made gangs and a life of crime a foregone conclusion. When Chris initially met him in jail, Niner's face would have been marked up with tattoos, many of which have been removed since he got out some three years ago. Much of his former self was intended to intimidate, threaten, and control even while many could witness a rich goodness inside of him. And then it was the experience of the desert of solitary confinement where God's mercy broke into his hardened heart. Since recording this conversation via email, Chris has introduced me to a man by the name of Ray Leonardini of Prison Contemplative Fellowship. That's USPCF.org if you want to find it online. For over 10 years, Ray, who's a former attorney, has been at the Folsom Prison north of Sacramento, California, doing something similar to what Chris and I have been doing, making friends with prisoners as we discover God together through shared contemplative prayer practices. It's been three years for me this month at the E.C. Brooks Correctional Facility in Muskegon, Michigan, and so I'm relatively new at these things compared to Chris and Ray. And so I'm grateful for how these two are helping me find language to describe what I'm discovering in the desert of E.C. Brooks. In our email exchanges, Ray has shared an essay with me that he wrote for the journal of Richard Rohr's Center for Action and Contemplation. I encourage you to buy and to read Chris's book, Wanted, but in Ray's essay here, titled, What No Bars Can Hold, 
Ray summarizes the essence of what the three of us are learning with and from prisoners like Niners. Ray writes, I think the idea of ministry, prison or otherwise, must be expanded to bring those being ministered to into full equality with the minister. We are fellow human beings, traveling our spiritual paths, associating with each other, sharing the gifts of our association in the Spirit. And in our sharing, we reflect the relational nature of our God. In traditional terms, we have viewed prison ministry as a mediating or channeling of grace to those who need it. This model is based on certain assumptions long held by the church, one of which is that grace can be channeled only through a mediator. Usually the mediator is a priest or a deacon who dispenses the sacraments, a form of grace and of God's loving presence. The priest or deacon or one specially commissioned to do the work of mercy offers this grace to those who need it. But after Vatican II, our notions of grace in the world have so largely expanded that many realize that the church is not the exclusive enclave and dispenser of God's presence or God's largesse. Those who need it are also not so easily identified. Maybe the incarcerated, those marginalized in every way by society, have their own wellsprings of grace. As Chris defers to Niners in this conversation, you'll witness his pivot to hear and discover God in and through Niners. Again, Ray's words, maybe the incarcerated, those marginalized in every way by society, have their own wellsprings of grace. I know my friends at the E.C. Brooks are grateful that I come to meet with them. At the end of each day I spend with them, Latorius will grab my hand lean in for a shoulder bump since we're not allowed to give each other full-on hugs. Latorius leans in close to me, looks me straight in the eye, and tells me to thank my wife Susanna for letting me take a Saturday to be with them at the prison. So I know they're grateful for me, but in the midst of our confusing, broken desert of an American culture, in the face of our racism and economic disparities, in the midst of my own inner dark struggles for holiness, I find that I am aware of my need for Latorius and all the others. I'm desperately aware that I'm not the primary mediator of God's presence. God is most present in our reciprocal, shared experience of discovering grace in each other. And it just so happens that Jesus is particularly fond of the poor the marginalized, and the oppressed. It is stunning to come into an active, conscious awareness of this, to understand that I find Jesus more present in the desert of E.C. Brooks than anywhere else in my life. It is refreshing to find camaraderie and affirming resonance with Ray, Chris, and Niners. I wish I could bring each of you listening with me into the E.C. Brooks facility to pray with me and my guys there. That would be the best gift I could give you. And perhaps some of you locals can join me. You're all invited. But for the rest of you, sharing in this conversation with Chris and Niners, that's the next best thing I can offer. 
And a word of warning for some of you, there is some strong language in this conversation. If that offends you, this unfortunately may not be a good episode for you. But please bear in mind, Chris has been with these inmates for some 13 years. Jails and prisons are rough places, of course. Transformation will look, smell, sound, and feel different for these men than it will for the rest of us. If you listen with ears and eyes to see, I promise you'll discover Jesus in this conversation. Um, uh, yeah, my, my name is Chris. Uh, I've, I've worked with uh, gang members and violent offenders in uh, Washington State lockdown facilities, largely with Mexican gangs, for the last 12 years. Um, but I'm happy to say that my main mentor, who welcomed me into the streets and tagged me as pastor to gang members, um, and who, who taught me about the inside of the American bowels of the prison system, is sitting here next to me now as uh, co-director with me of a new organization we're starting this year called Underground Ministries. So um, my name is Ninos Garcia, and uh, I'm a former gang member. I grew up in uh, Mount Vernon and uh, did a lot of prison and juvenile institution time and had the privilege of uh, meeting Chris and just getting to know a little bit about his story and him writing me and just being a part of my life as I was locked up and had just lost a my both brothers, my mom, my dad passed away, and just so many things, and just losing homies left and right, and just having that one consistent relationship with someone, it was just really powerful for me. So Nina, talk a little bit about where you grew up, how you grew up. I uh, I grew up in a little uh, area called Stanford Drive in Mount Vernon, and um, it was mainly like a cab, like where all the migrant workers went. It was like an upgrade from the cabins that we used to live in before when we used to come down here and do uh, uh, migrant work. So um, living there was just different than being outside of it. Like when I go outside, you can notice all the looks, the stares from other folks. It just, like they didn't want us there. And so that was like our little safe, like our little haven. And uh, um, being there, I ended up uh, forming a gang and um, just started calling um, calling a uh, all the little kids around the neighborhood, my homies and my friends and my buddies, my family. And we just grew up next to each other, you know, sleeping in each other's houses, eating with each other, you know, times that I didn't have nowhere to sleep at. They knew that I'd be scared to stay out alone in the streets. And I'm a little kid. I'm like 11 years old, 12 years old, around that age. And so that most of them would stay outside with me. And the main one was my boy, Speedy. He uh, he always stayed the night with me in the cars or in the streets or inside newspaper boxes inside of a uh, Catholic uh, backyard. I, he always had my back. And so it was really, uh, I was just my neighborhood. We were just poor, hurt, confused. We lacked leadership in, uh, in our uh, with uh, the elders there. Everybody, everybody around there was always drunk. And there was just so much violence going on around the neighborhood. So that's just what I adapted to and how I um, grew up. Um, it was a it was a it was a painful time. So from you know, I grew up on a farm in Illinois. <laughs> so reading and understanding, and as I've gotten to know my friends in, in the prison, uh, E.C. Brooks Correctional in Muskegon, it's this idea. Tell me if I'm wrong that. This is just the way of life. There was not really any other choices than gang membership and survival from poverty. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I, 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 um, I didn't just wake up in the morning and say, "Hey, I want to be a gang member." Right. <laughs> you know, I, uh, 
I actually wanted to be a basketball player, and I wanted to play for Duke. And I remember telling my sister about, you know, wanting to leave the county, wanting to leave the state, you know, when I got old and having these visions of just leaving. And my sister coming home from school one day, and I'm having this map that was, like, folded out, and it was ripped. And, and I like, I'm a kid, so I didn't know what the end of the world was or that the world would go back around and come to I'd end up riding around, I went in circles all the way right back to my neighborhood. But I thought that the end of the world was where that map ended, and it ended in North Carolina. And so mm. that's where I wanted to go, the farthest away from my neighborhood. Because I seen all the stuff that went on around there, you know, having all that drunks and just having the gangs just like right there. It was just like, like um, it was infested pretty bad with just the violence. And so I, uh, I ended up going to school and coming home, and next thing you know, I'm shooting someone and getting involved with gangs, not knowing how to get out of it anymore. I just, I just went with that. I just gave up. I just was like, man, mm-hmm. this is it. This is, this is all we get dealt. Mm-hmm. This is my life. So I'm going to have to learn how to live in it and survive in it. And so I decided the only way that I was going to live and survive in this world was to be the hardest gang member that they had mm-hmm. in that community. And um, happened to be that I did do that. Mm-hmm. So Chris, he said hardest when you met him was Nieder's hard. Uh, <laughs> as Walt Whitman said, uh, Niners contains multitudes. <laughs> um, I, I saw in, in, in Niners um, uh, a, a real irresistible light, uh, just really in, 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 eager to get to know, eager to connect, eager to, to totally commandeer the Bible study, but not to say stupid things or get attention, but yeah. impatient with where the dialogue was and to get to the real grain of what was going on. I mean, he caught quickly on to where our, our, the theologian Bible facilitator that we studied with uh, in the jail, where the connections were in his community mm. and with what, the, what, what was really happening in Jesus's communication, his altercations with, uh, with, with law enforcement, with spiritual authorities. Um, and he was eager to connect with me and called me in the middle of the night when he got out and called me out to gang meetings in the middle of the night and was eager to connect me to others and call me a pastor um, and yet he had that authority, not only because of his, uh, I, I watched him love younger homies. Like he was like a youth pastor, but instead of offering them like Nerf guns, he offered them, a, you know, Glocks or whatever you guys stole. And, um, so, the, but also because Niners was, uh, if he's going to do something, he's going to do it hundred percent. So he was really violent and had to put in a lot of work and, uh, he, he had undergone, oceans of trauma we could talk for hours and just let Nieners tell you about his life and you'd understand why you'd want to stay drunk mm. um, and when you're drunk you can stick cars into the sides of houses mm. and open up a fire once you enter the living room <laughs> so, so I'm stealing your thunder but um uh and, and yet so Nieners name in the valley is still known with with a certain level of infamy mm. um and yet I I'm a uh, I'm in the juvenile detention center as, mm. as a Bible study facilitator, as a, as a pastor, as a creative writing uh, instructor with underground writing, also mm. led by Matt Malian. Uh, and whenever I mention Niners to some of the staff there, they just smile. They go, Niners, <laughs> I remember Niners. I'm like, oh yeah, I know he was pretty bad back then. She's like, no, I mean, I, I'd heard he did a lot of bad stuff on the streets, but Niners, whenever he entered the room, pure sunshine. Mm. So I think that that resonates with uh, how I, I understand God, you know, in the in the orthodox sense of prayer of eschesis, you know, just 
mm. scrubbing away all the grime so that the illumination of, of God, like mm. not just of God, but of God's image and universe, like it's just been a process not of creating someone new, but washing away the pain and the scabs of this world mm. so that uh, the obvious beauty of this dude could just shine brighter. Mm. So just a little more context than Chris, you're saying before you also were a worship leader and just a little glimpse of that movement from worship leading into the prison. Yeah, kind of opposite sides of the world, even though we were just opposite ends of the I-5 in a way. I was just down in um, Southern California, uh, suburban evangelical, um, large non-denominational church, um, more than Nerf gun. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I was, I was a worship leader. I, was, I was, uh, helped, helped lead our youth groups. Um, and as, as I oftentimes say, growing up er, over churched, one of the benefits is you at least get a lot of the red letters in your ears mm -hmm. and of, of the gospels and you hear Jesus stories, even with the theology and the praxis around you is kind of, I don't know, I would say lame, mm -hmm. uh, lame in the, and literally like, you know, mm -hmm. doesn't have movement to it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but what the advantage is I, I raised my hand so many times to altar calls. Who wants to follow Jesus? Mm -hmm. I was like, hell yeah, mm -hmm. this guy is rad. <laughs> but, but the invitation really was just oh, following Jesus meant come back to church and be a good boy. Mm -hmm. So I did, I was a good boy. I mm -hmm. got straight A's. I was a leader in the youth group, but it wasn't, didn't satisfy. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that today when I heard you speak, like you kind of were almost like the A plus of the gang world of what, you know, this is what it means to be. Mm -hmm. And I was A plus of my world and I don't think it satisfied either of us. Mm -hmm. um, and slowly, it's a longer story, but I found myself uh, via inner city missions in Oakland to uh, not going to evangelical school as I thought I would, I ended up going to Berkeley um, and liking what I was studying and wrote a big thesis on the gospels, but still restless. I wanna study theology. And then I found this guy that's writing a book about the, doing theology with the damned, with mm -hmm. the outcasts. So I went to the jail primarily to do seminary mm. in the kind of context that Jesus was hanging out in. I thought mm -hmm. this is the best place to study Jesus is in context. Mm. But I didn't expect that young gang members my age with very colorful language and a low tolerance for religious nonsense would become my favorite Bible study partners. Mm -hmm. And then they'd call me pastor. So mm. it's kind of how our, our worlds overlapped. And that was, you guys met how many years ago? 12. 12 years. 12. And you got out how many years ago? Um, I got out on July 20th, 2014. So about three years from, from last month, last few months. And, um, yeah, we've been, got released from prison. I got released from solitary confinement, you know, and, um, when so I you went straight from solitary to, to the, get out. Yeah. To the streets. So, oh my. so the only touch I had for the last so many months was um, handcuffs being placed on my arm as I went to the yard to use a phone to get to the only communication I had in this world, and that was uh, Chris. And mm -hmm. so when I got released, I ended up, uh, I got blessed. Um, he gave me a room to sleep in. I lived with him. We worked on so many things. It was just amazing. His wife was amazing, just loving on me, having my back. And it was just really good. It was really mm -hmm. good to know that I had someone that was going to not not shelter me, but protect me and help me and, mm -hmm. and comfort me as I as I uh, transition from not being around anybody, not mm -hmm. being able to see anybody pale um, to the streets and mm -hmm. having a daughter that I wanted to see so bad. It just, mm -hmm. man, it was really, really amazing and beautiful to just 
be able to have Chris next to me so that I didn't stumble and uh, just yeah, trickle. You were paler than me when you got out. Yeah. And I was just afraid yeah. of trickling back into the old patterns. And mm-hmm. Chris was always there. It was really, it was, it was, it was comforting. It was mm-hmm. really good. Did you know he was getting out? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. We've been pr- planning, okay. planning for his release three years beforehand, and then he got two years of his good time. Okay. I didn't know if that was a surprise. So um, just a little bit of the background of where I'm coming from. Um, as I have been at E.C. Brooks, it'll be three years now in January, and reading Michelle Alexander and other sources, I, I've, from the perspective of a spiritual director, thinking about transformation, does Jesus change lives? Does the Holy Spirit really ch- change us? And that question I hear you asking, both of you, what is real? Why do I find something that's satisfying? And that dissatisfaction, without trying to be heavy-handed about the church, because it's easy to beat up on the church, I'm just convinced that we would not have what we call the industrial incarceration system if we truly believed the gospel was a gospel of transformation. And so all that we have and the systems that perpetuate that, um, and that's what I'm interested in as we sit here is to think about transformation. And I hear transformation in you, Chris, just as much as there's transformation in Niners. So one of those questions maybe on this journey is uh, what are your... Um, What's inspiring you to think about who Jesus is, if it's a, somebody from the past, if it's somebody from the present, when you look at their life, their writings, whatever, who's showing you who Jesus is? I think uh, even before getting into spirituality, like the, uh, like the life of prayer, um, I think the first move for me of, of going to the jail and wanting to be in context with the people Jesus was with um, it was the first move for me before we get into an interior stuff, which is really micro, or or before we get into big cosmic stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like the grand salvation narratives. Uh, for me, that the, the beauty of the Christian faith is the incarnation, mm-hmm. and that God didn't give us just a mystical revelation, mm-hmm. but He came uh, with flesh and blood and kicked it with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that is that earns the word Christian, as David Dark says, like that should be a, an adjective that you earn. It's not something that you can self-describe, almost like saying humble or poet, like you, mm-hmm. you earn it, you, can't, you don't just decide to be either, mm-hmm. um, is it should look like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so even if we haven't attained, as the Orthodox would say, you know, full um, theosis, mm-hmm. uh, full holiness, yeah. that um, I think why people get disillusioned with the church is the church looks nothing like Jesus. Not because it's full of sinners. I think that's a real unhelpful cop-out. Be like, well, the church is full of sinners. Well, that's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not even, even its message or its method or its activity rarely attempts to look anything like the badass <laughs> of Nazareth. Mm. Um, mystically, not just I'm not saying tough, like mystically, mm. lovingly, tenderly, the friend of sinners, mm. um, a, a, a troublemaker with religious leaders. Mm. Um, uh, he, was, he was a mystic of the common people and the outcasts and the poor. He wasn't you know, teaching seminars for PhDs kind mm. of mysticism. It was, it was for people who were, who were broken. He was bringing it to them and he was their friends and eating with them and incarnating the presence of God. 
I don't know, maybe that's the Protestant part of me. Like it all becomes back to Jesus. Great. And like whatever is in the New Testament, mm -hmm. it's it's that. And then the deeper mysteries can begin of how Jesus invites us into prayer mm -hmm. and forgiveness. So starting to just be around the people Jesus was around, I think is mm -hmm. the first leap forward, mm -hmm. so not prayer. Yeah, so you're saying that the action of going outside of your comfort zone outside of your tradition, outside of what seemed domestic to experience God and and a place that we read about in the scriptures. Um, so uh, maybe this will stimulate some thoughts. So what, do you, what would you say about those people that go and do the activism and stretch, but then they're dying on the vine, they're about to pass out and they don't have I have some friends that have just uh, tried and tried and tried and they've just become empty people. How do we do that to go into a prison? Are you saying that you discovered God there? Yeah. Uh, let me say a few more things, Nita, and I'm past you because you have a lot more narrative and color to fill in on this. But um, Father Greg Boyle, who's a great inspiration to us at Homeboy Industries, I don't think he's just the executive director of the largest and best gang intervention organization in the world, but I think he's, I think he's a holy man. And he says, um, if you're burning out, you're doing it wrong. Um, that we, people try to go to the margin, go out and reach out to people on the margins. Mm -hmm. And he says, we need to go to the margins to be reached. Mm -hmm. We're trying to save people. If you're burning out, mm -hmm. you're trying to save people. We need to learn how to savor people. Mm -hmm. And just my whole, my, my, my skin, my scalp, my, my soul kind of shifts when I hear him say that. Mm -hmm. Um, and he says, this is what Jesus was doing. Mm. A lot of our activism is still an idolatry of the state. Mm -hmm. We're still trying to change the temple. We're mm -hmm. still trying to change Rome. Mm -hmm. um, and Jesus was willing to do something more difficult than change Rome. He was willing to die on its torture instrument with us and overcome the power of the grave. Mm -hmm. That's just, I don't think there's burnout in that. There's a, yeah. he followed delight all the way through yeah. death. Right. Uh, I don't think he had a hope that he was going to change the poor or change mm -hmm. the system, but it was it's more mysterious. Mm -hmm. so, so I've burnt out a lot, and I've had to earn my way back to what I'm talking about right now. Good, good. Um, so, so let me, you said not just to save people, but to savor so many resources that I still have yet to, to dip into. So what about you, Nieners, in terms of what inspires you to think about being Jesus, discovering God in your life? What's inspiring? I am. Um, I remember um, when I was a little kid. Um, I remember I was little, and I, you know, I'd hear all the pains. The lady just got lost her son. The cries over the sister in my neighborhood, and her son just got killed at age seventeen and stabbed in the heart, straight by accident, killed by some other gang member who was trying to defend himself. And I would cover myself up with my blankets, and I would be like pretend that I was on a boat trying to trying to save my people and this stuck with me I don't know what why but it stuck with me through my whole rest of my years of my life and I was mad I wasn't mad at God I was just mad I was mad at so many different things in this world in the community that I uh I didn't I couldn't believe anything that anybody said to me anymore. You know, most folks might would tell me that they love me, but they abandoned me. Most folks would tell me that they they got me, but they'd hurt me. And so I um I remember being in jail and 
I remember that memory coming back to me and I was I was just I sat there and I was like, why is this coming to me? Like, why? And I, and I, I think I was in prison. I was in Monroe, actually. I was in the IMU. He just got in a riot. I was in the hole. And I remember writing Bob and saying, hey, can you have that guy with the with a guitar write me? Mm-hmm. And um, it just happened to be Chris. And he gave me the information and we wrote. And Chris brought my daughter in to visit me. And she was like less than a week old. And um, she came in and and it's, it hit me hard. Like not even my sister, my family did that for me. Mm-hmm. And so years of us going, me going to prison, getting out, you know, and then going back to prison for these last seven and a half years, um, that 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 image of me being under that blanket kept coming to me, and I remember uh, having the having Chris write to me every every one because he wrote me every week for seven years, like seven and a half years. He wrote me every week, you know, and um, he made a miss like a week, but it it would always it'd be the mail's fault or something, but. I would always ask myself, like, you know, like, I, I can't even trust a man sitting next to me. Like, you know, how am I going to trust, how, how am I going to trust something I can't see, you know? So I, I learned to build my um my faith through that, through having a, a, one solid relationship with one person. Mm. And in, in I don't know how it intertwined with, with my faith and with God, but it just brought me to some light that I felt that I just remember that hunger I had when I, Heard of that lady crying as as the homie got killed and and what I wanted to do so bad, not just run, but I wanted to run with the homies on my back and just get out of there. And that that just came to me and I just I like I remember having some bad news that day and I just gave up. I just gave up. My whole life I just gave up and I uh I just remember yelling to God and being like, dude, I'm done. I'm done done and I'm in the hole when this is happening and I'm I'm just yelling and I tell tell him I give up mm. I'm all yours mm. what I do now mm. and it all started like from there forward we started working on some deeper stuff but it was a kickstart you know having just that one relationship and so my biggest my biggest inspiration just just the whole transformation has been just having that relationship with Chris and mm. him bringing some people around me and just Loving on me and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, uh, the next question that I ask folks on the podcast conversations is if there is a prayer practice, and this could be um, some inner type of thing, or it could be something that deals with spiritual growth through action, through doing something. You've kind of already touched on that, but the, that that could mean a lot of things. To a lot of people, worship, prayer, practice. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you? Yeah, I think I've I've experimented in a lot of different uh, practices that have nourished me over the years. Um, our director at, uh, at Tierna Web, an organization we had worked with before, um, really had a powerful experience in the renewal movement and the kind of international, more uh, charismatic experience of. Uh, with explicit encounters with the Holy Spirit and and listening prayer practices. And those were really, those are pretty electric for me. I mean, I didn't fall down in the big prayer meetings, <laughs> um, but as I learned some of the the prayer journaling and, and prophetic listening kind of activities, it helped me have a greater sense of awe mm-hmm. of the possibility of God's presence now 
But once I felt like I was tapping into that, I couldn't be around the loud music or a lot of uh, bodies pushing around. Like if I wanted a mosh pit, there's the better concerts I could go to. Mm. Um, but it it helped me really get away from just an academic sense of prayer. Mm. And I, had, I, I felt like I'd heard things in the depth of my heart that, went, that were more, more than my own desires and consciousness um, and how to identify that and how to quiet down and recognize it. Um, and then uh, I, was, I hadn't been exposed to much contemplative prayer, but the charismatic, the best charismatic stuff, I think, pushes you towards contemplative because I think charismatic stuff is like really high volume, um, high gloss mm-hmm. uh, excitement about God's presence. But mm-hmm. then you really want to, it's like meeting a chick at a party. You know, like it's it's a nice place to meet, but then you really want to go somewhere quiet and really talk. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can meet God in the, the loud prayer gatherings, but then you want to go be quiet together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then then you're off to the races and with hearing about centering prayer. Mm-hmm. And then then you just start moving further east mm-hmm. and then the Hezi casts and and um and Saint Isaac of Syria, who's been really huge for me, because wow. I think he heard a level of mercy mm-hmm. that's commensurate with what I felt in the jail, I felt a mercy that would laugh at any of the kind of Calvinist notions of justification and wrath and stuff like that. Like, no way. Like, I, I felt a God that's way beyond that. So whatever that God is, that's a God I want to kneel before and open my life to and follow him mm-hmm. through death. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already felt that God. So when you hear a story of a God that's less than that, it's just hard to believe in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we can go in that direction, but. Yeah. I, I, want, I would want to bat yeah. the ball back to you, Neeters, on yeah. what helped me to listen to the monastic and contemplative traditions even more was writing letters with you and one, hearing how you were reading the scriptures and secondly, how you were like to avoid panic attacks, mm-hmm. kind of the prayer practices that you kind of invented. I, I love hearing you talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, as I did the seven and a half years in prison, I, uh, I did about five five years and some change in in solitary confinement, and um, after after a couple months, you know, you can kind of start losing your mind and stuff. So, I started getting uh, panic attacks and anxiety, and just really depressed. And I, I couldn't just grab a phone and pick up pick it up and dial Chris's number and talk with him about it. So I just started. I remember just covering my eyes and my ears because all the noise in that unit was so bad that I just wanted to be quiet. I just wanted it to be in silence. And I remember closing my eyes and just just slowly saying repeatedly, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I didn't even know this, dude. My brother's name is Jesus. <laughs> Literally. So I uh, I remember saying that, and um, it was just like, damn. This dude loves me. It slowed down my heart. It slowed down my thoughts. And it slowed me down. And it slowed my anxiety down. And as time went on, I started reading the Bible more. And that's when I just started realizing, like, I cannot hear first because the guys are either trying to commit suicide or are going off in another cell. But I can I can hear them better if I plug my ears and close my eyes and just just shut my mind down and just repeatedly say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Until that noise became an image in my head and it was either me looking over a cornfield of weeds or me looking at just a verse that I had read a couple weeks ago and it just shooting to my head and I just 
imagine the the way that it would just feel to be in that presence or in that moment and just kneeling down at some man. You know, we get this image of a guy in a white suit with long beard and very wavy hair and looks like he uses a lot of suave, but <laughs> we just... <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've all seen that baby yeah we've all uh, so I just I couldn't imagine a face but I could imagine love peace serenity and that was that was that was a knockout for me dog I just I was like man this is this is my dude this is who I want to be with the rest of my life I love this guy I don't want to leave this guy's presence and uh, I'm asking I asked that dude I was like my god can you hold my hand through this and, and can you be my man through this because I, I can't do this and so he he coached me and comforted me when I needed him the most, and it was really good. It was really good. It really opened up a lot deeper stuff inside of me that I was afraid to face, but it helped me face it so that I could be a real, real, real deal when I got out and real with him. And it was really good. It was something that I really admired, and I I, I uh, would tell my brother C about it, and um, it was really amazing. It really hit me, it really hit me hard. So when you're saying that. You didn't know uh, Jesus. Did you, did you not have any experience in church growing up? Yeah, I did a little bit. I was a Catholic. You know, I was in the Catholic Church, and uh, I did a little bit. But um, I remember, um, and this is not to knock any church down or anything, but I remember praying um, some prayer with my mom when I was a kid in Spanish. It was me, my mom, and my sister praying, um, Con Dios me duermo, con Dios me levanto, los tres dulces nombres, and then half hour later my dad's walking and beating the dog piss out of my mom and I'm mm-hmm. laying next to her and I'm like damn where's the dude that we yeah. just told to help us out and now yeah. my mom's about to have two black eyes and have to explain to my teacher why I'm not in school why I'm getting transferred to California to Bakersfield to my aunt so I was like well yeah. that was the only experience I had mm-hmm. so you're in solitary and you're digging deep and you just find that name and you find a sense of relief and peace and it draws you into it more yeah more. Yeah, yeah, just that name alone just kept, it was just like serenity. It just, I don't know, that name didn't have no face to it. Just mm-hmm. besides my brother, that's like I said, that's my name. But it was just really beautiful to say it over and over and over and over mm-hmm. and over and over again mm-hmm. till I was at a place where I was just floating and mm-hmm. it felt really good. Mm-hmm. Has anyone introduced you to the Jesus prayer itself? The, talk to you about that. Our Father who art in heaven. No, this would be um, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just repeating that over and over. Nah, but I did the. Uh, I think we did one of the prayers uh, when I got released. We started doing uh, some the Saint Ephraim prayer, and okay. we did a lot of monastic. We did. We called it Monastic Monday when we're just going to silence, and we still stick to it. We still try to do one we, yeah. where we sit in silence because we find that it it gives us really peace. Mm-hmm. You know, we can get really wound mm-hmm. up. Yeah, the Orthodox tradition. Uh, birthed this Jesus prayer and so they they have a deep respect for being able to pronounce and say the sacred name of, of Christ and that even just saying his name's healing and so it's beautiful to know how the spirit teaches people mm-hmm. without books and I think mm-hmm. that's the core of what I want the podcast to represent to people so we don't learn how to pray by reading books books can help kind of give us a clue mm-hmm. that there's more but it only happens and sorry, it had to be five years of solitude, <laughs> solitary for you. Well, that, well that, that's what's most interesting to me um, is that paradox. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that, that we, we talk about a little bit in the last, the last chapter of my book uh, that we call Fire in the Hole. 
um, where, where Nieners was in solitary confinement, mm -hmm. and I'm reading like St. John of the Cross mm -hmm. and some of the mystics who are always, I mean, even the charismatics, not just ancient mystics, but right. you know, you go to like Canadian renewal conferences, fire. This is the, this is the prime metaphor for the, the, the presence of God's spirit. And, um, and, but Nieners was describing without having read any of that stuff, like physical, just kind of reaching for imagery to describe what he was feeling when praying. And he would talk about uh, fire, a sweet fire. Mm. Um, and, and I started wondering how is it that, I mean, while I'm reading some of the mystics, I'm, I'm reading about mass incarceration and I'm reading about the mental deterioration and cruelty of, of prolonged isolation. How is it that in this crude, cruel design of human isolation, my friend is going through such a beautiful transformation? Um, and I, I started thinking about the shape of a solitary cell as like a, like a Molotov cocktail. Like that's the bottle, the container is the same, but what you fill it with and what you use it for can change. So you can repurpose an alcohol bottle, which is used to subdue alcohol, but you can empty it out, fill it with kerosene, mm. uh, light it and throw it and it's a bomb. It's a whole new instrument, but it's the same container, right? Mm -hmm. And just thinking about repurposing a prison cell with a new fluid of, mm. of emptying it of its punitive spirit mm. um, and filling it with the, the kindling of letters and friendship mm. and, um, and it being, it being ignited by the spirit of God and, mm. and, and, and that the spirit responds to like, you know, Evagrius the solitary and St. Isaac of Syria talk about tears being a sign of the presence of God. And like, mm. I think of tears as like kerosene and Nieners was talking about crying and crying and crying. Mm. And that, so I, I just, it's, the metaphor just kept compelling me to think about how to repurpose the cell and lighting it on fire and it being a, a setting the bowels of incarceration ablaze with mm. a kind of a resistance fire of mercy, which mm. eats away at the walls of isolation and punishment and human disintegration. Um, so the overlaps of uh, incarceration in the monastic world just really obsessed me for a few years because I'd visit with these guys in the jail because while Nina's off in prison, I'm still going to the county jail every week and leading prayer and Bible study while I'm trying to run away from burning out in ministry and going off to these monastic retreats. And I'm trying to come back from these monastic retreats and tell the guys about it. I'm like, wait a minute. So much of the monastic environment is already here. I'm like, look, mm -hmm. guys, you've got an all-male institution. Mm -hmm. You don't have your families or drugs or televisions or um, uh, food sucks. You don't have your cell phones. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, and in monasteries, they spend most of their time in rooms called cells thinking about their lives mm -hmm. and dealing with their demons inside of them. Like, mm -hmm. the main difference, of course, is that they choose this. Why, would, why do you think they would choose this? And, mm -hmm. you know guys would be kind of wondering about like, I don't know, they, they want to know God or they want to fix themselves. Be like, yeah, kind of. I think they, they chose this as a way to move towards God. So what if we can repurpose mm. yourselves? Like mm. the county guys would say like, well, they have this real fatalistic high sovereignty kind of belief, which I don't, I think is really toxic to think, well, God has me here for a reason. Be like, no, no. I mean, who arrested you? You know, mm -hmm. Skagit County police dragged you here and you are here being held before trial. But... Mm -hmm you can repurpose, you can almost like giving agency, you can repurpose your cell mm -hmm. um, instead of being a, a product of the state. You, mm -hmm. can re, you can MacGyver this, you can repurpose your cell mm -hmm. and turn it into a monastic retreat. Mm -hmm. 
because I think you needed to be away from the streets in a way. Mm. So for me, that's, it's all about intention. God didn't put you here, the state did, but you with God can collaborate in turning, setting your cell ablaze mm. um, and to reappropriate re some monastic practices in the mm. cells. So I think that's still something we're trying to equip dozens of the guys that we write in prison cells with mm. is prayer practices like that. I'm going to ask you some more about that, what other practices, but I'm going to tell a quick story. So we'd spent one Saturday in the morning. We have a larger group, about uh, 2025, and we were talking about Abba Moses, go into your cell, and it will teach you everything. And I spent some time thinking about this um, before, and it was just trying to figure out this exact same thing. How does this resonate with the guys in terms of the advantages of where they are, but not wanting to make it cute or to spiritualize it and to be like, oh, you're incarcerated. So why don't you just learn to pray and to, you know, just really to let them discover it on their own. So I came back in the afternoon. I spend um, all day there um, twice a month. And um, so it's just me and about eight, ten guys, and I decided to lead them through a prayer exercise. And so I said, just make a list of all the things that are happening inside of you, good or bad. Don't judge it. Just make a long list, a couple pages in your your, your journals, mm -hmm. and just keep seeing it. Now let's go into silence, mm -hmm. and now let's look at the list, and let's just decide that we're going to leave all of these things outside. We're going to let them be outside. And now you're going to go alone into this small cell. And I look across and there's this one of my most beautiful guys, Tone. Mm -hmm. Tone looks at me and he goes, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go into a small little room. I was like, oh, no, completely, like right in that moment. And then he just got this big, huge smile and he goes, I'm just kidding with you. I know what you're doing. And um, so he, it, it kind of worked. It kind of didn't. And it was like this massive, like, learning curve. Um, and he he's totally thinks it's funny. And um, But right in that moment, it's like, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you, you help these guys make that switch without – um, I guess respecting that space, that over-spiritualizing it. Does that make sense? Well, for, for me, it's about the intention again. Mm -hmm. It's to, the bad over-spiritualizing is to minimize the evil and the injustice of incarceration. But if you can name this as evil and unjust, and you, the best way to resist is to flip the bottle. You know, you you transform yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's a way to spiritualize that's really empowering. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's spiritualizing in, a, in an empowering way, not as a dismissive, mm. sugarcoating way. There you go. That's a powerful distinction. Say that one more time. Go through that again. So to, to spiritualize it, not as a way to pretend that it happened for a good reason mm -hmm. or to minimize the injustice and the cruelty mm -hmm. and the evil of incarcerating human beings, mm -hmm. but to spiritualize it as an act of resistance. Mm -hmm. As, okay. an, as an empowering way to let spiritualize what is evil, the same way Jesus took on mm -hmm. the cross, which mm -hmm. was not a spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. That was a, and the empire's form of mm -hmm. punishment and torture. Mm -hmm. And Jesus took it on and conquered it, mm -hmm. and he flipped the cross mm -hmm. until now it's, it's, a, it's a trophy of, of death being conquered. Mm -hmm. So true spirituality will be it's, it's uh, subversive. a subversive. It's creative act. resistance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to add to what we're... No, I'm just thinking it's... You know, let's talk about um, Wally. 
about a kind of religion that, that skips from, from FU to hallelujah? Oh, yeah. I, uh, that's one of the biggest things that I've seen a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of homies try to do is, um, they think that, um, uh, they, uh, they can grab a Bible and read it and it's going to just wash away all their pains and that's it. Just, I've memorized Psalm 23. I've memorized the, the our father who are in heaven. I've memorized all these verses. Now I'm good. I'm clean. And, um, I, I, I just listen to Christian radio all day. Yeah. I listen to Christian radio all day. I just, I don't believe it. There's, there's no way someone can go from hello to, I mean, I would say fuck you to amen, you know, and in a matter of weeks, there's, 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 there's that gap in between that we had to try to work through to get to the amen. And then, and a lot of times it's, it takes, it takes, takes a lot of like, really honestly for me was a lot of inner healing a lot of prayer a lot of i mean more than anything like 75 percent of my healing has done just in silence being being there and just hearing my my heart explode from all the stuff that we've gone through and just this new transformation of just feeling my body change and my my inner self as god is just cradling me through these pains and holding me because i'm in the hole most of the time so that's all I have, but yeah, it, it's it's really hard. It's really hard to um to 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 have folks to believe that you can just read a book and become a Christian. Mm -hmm. The tough thing about talking about spiritual practice is we don't want to put this on a display where it becomes a self righteous thing. But I think the danger in not talking about spiritual practice is that we don't assume that this is a normal thing that Christians should be doing. And so there's something about being able to share and to speak openly. So you share as much as you feel comfortable. But can you can you give me some more insight in what your practice of silence looked like? What did you do? How did that? Mm -hmm. Was that a particular part of the day? Did it happen several parts of, times of the throughout the day? Uh, yeah, it happened. Um, I remember um, most of the time. I was every morning we get up at five thirty, so five thirty six is in the. I automatically like I have a daily bread. I, I have a my book, my Bible, but I would just go lay on my bed and close my eyes, cover my ears. I would sit there and just look. Like I don't know, it was just staring at my eyelids. And I, for a while, I'd try to find something to, to to look at. I'm saying Jesus. I'm trying to picture a face, and mm. I, I didn't believe. I didn't. Nothing would come to me. But after minutes of just sitting there saying, Jesus, Jesus, after maybe like a half hour to 45 minutes of saying this, that finally I realized that I was the calmest I've ever been. Mm -hmm. And I was just sitting there in peace and ah, and I was just like, damn, mm -hmm. I, I want this again. Mm -hmm. So I would do it again at lunch. Mm -hmm. I'd shut everything down, go sit down, just close my eyes and I'd I mean, my anxiety was bad. It's still mm -hmm. pretty bad, but it was really bad at the time. You got to think solitary confinement mm -hmm. really messes you up. Mm -hmm. so they took you off your meds. And they had taken me off my meds. And um, so I, I, uh, I, I was really, really going, like I started, I thought I was losing my mind. Mm -hmm. That the only thing, like I was hallucinating. I was starting to punch myself in my head. I was pulling my hair. I was screaming. I was just yelling. I was like, man, this is some beat. Yes, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And I was just going off. But I remember just, all right, Niners, mm -hmm. go back to that 
bed, lay down and do this. So would it be fair to say that in this practice, you're experiencing a kind of healing? Yes. Yes, it would. So if you were off your meds and you've got str- troubled anxiety, so just being able to sit and, and to say the name of Christ, um, can, can you remember, was it a matter of your thoughts slowing down? Did your body start to just relax? Was there stuff happening in your chest, all the above? Um, I think all the above, but the main one was that my mind, like, it mm-hmm. slowed down. Like, I had, you got to think, I was just thinking so many things, like, what am I going to do? My meds, all these things, but my mind, my brain just felt like it just shut off, and I just felt my body just... Honestly, I felt like I was floating on one of those little foam beds. I just was like, man, I'm talking about this is some really harsh beds. And so I just felt really, really good. I just felt like I was, it sounds cheesy because, I mean, I don't know. It just sounds cheesy the way the way I say it. But in all reality, man, there's no other way to explain it besides the fact that I just felt like my whole, like I just came out of my body and I was just staring at myself and mm like laying a hand on top of my chest mm. and just saying, slow down, my mm. boy, slow down, mm. slow down. And it just slowly went into something deep. So there was a kind of an imaginative work yeah. going on about what is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. At, at, I think so. I think some of it, I can't, I can't really explain, but yeah. I just felt sometimes that I just felt myself being cradled mm-hmm. by God, like crying in his chest. And other times mm-hmm. I felt like myself just getting out of leaving my body and just holding my chest, just like slowing me up. Because I would be heaving. I would be like, man, I'm tripping. I'm, this is not cool. Mm-hmm. And there's times I'd just be on the floor doing this, mm-hmm. just kind of... I remember uh, someone tried to tell me it was kind of like yoga. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was really. Yeah. It was really cool. And uh, I guess I had a name for it, and that was yoga. Until mm-hmm. I started realizing more yeah. about inner healing and yeah. and spiritual stuff, and I was like, man, that's crazy. This is what yeah. I want. Yeah. One of my favorite um, books right now is a book called "The Body Keeps the Score," mm-hmm. and Van it's yeah, Bessel van der Kolk, and just understanding the trauma. Uh, can't be solved just by dialogical, by talking it out with a therapist because trauma gets locked in our bodies. And so we need yoga and there's other therapies that get into the body. And surprisingly, how much silence, being able to center and to quiet yourself is a very, very, very physical experience. If you do it enough, you're listening, you're noticing. And what I hear you saying is you're because of that circumstance, you started to pay attention to your anxiety, to what was happening in your body. And so you were aware yeah. of yourself. So you knew how to, to pay attention to where the healing was coming. And that's fantastic. <laughs> well, speaking of yoga, this is um, what the prayer that Nieners had mentioned earlier, the uh, St. Ephraim the Syrian, mm-hmm. uh, his prayer. Because um, Nieners would... When he got out of prison, he was keeping a certain level of, of routine, mm-hmm, you know, right. a, a, some kind of transitional practices. Sure. And in, in his cell, a lot of gang members of his set, they do like this set of burpees. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone listening doesn't know what burpees are, you know, it's, it's going all the way down like a push-up position, then standing up mm-hmm. and, and jumping and doing a lunge. So it's like all the way to upright, mm-hmm. to fully prostrate. And while he was doing that with me, when he got out and we were doing this in my backyard and going jogging and praying in the mornings, I was going to an Orthodox monastery and learning the prayer of St. Ephraim. It's not just a prayer, but it's where they do a lot of prostrations. It's where they go from, stand, well, first off, in the, in the Orthodox Church, which is the Eastern Church, which 
it's interesting that I think a lot of the Western church forgets that there's an Eastern church. I think East just means Buddhism, Hinduism. Uh, but the Eastern Christians were in the East, and there's much more of a mind-body connection there. And so you go into Orthodox church, what most Protestants and Catholics know is there's no chairs. You're standing up, and you're moving about the cabin. Like you're in mid, mid of, like they're, hum, 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 they're like going on about something, but you don't have to stand there and listen. It's, it's like this multi-sensory kind of spirit chamber. And you go over and you go kiss some saints. Oh, I don't know about kissing saints. So it's visual. It's lips. Like you ever crossed yourself and kissed your fingers? Like something shivers down your spine by just the act of kissing um, and that act of devotion that's bodily. And then during Lent, St. Ephraim's prayer, you go from being fully upright and you get all the way down on your knees and then your hands on the ground and your forehead on the ground and you get right back up. And some people get exhausted doing these, going up, down, up, down, but they're just like the burpees that Nina's are describing. So all that to say, we're doing this prayer that I felt was really the Christian answer to a lot of what we're finding in yoga is we're looking for embodied forms of prayer that were very up, down, up, down, breathing, speaking, kissing. Um, and the prayer goes like something like this, which we said every morning for a while in my living room and pushed the table aside and we had a little rug. As you stand there and your hands are wide out wide open, it says, O Lord and master of my life, give me not a spirit of laziness despair, ambition, or empty talk. I don't know about you guys, but I'm full of that shit. And then you get down to your knees and you touch the forehead and I almost feel it's almost like you're like, like that Molotov cocktail. You're spilling out all those things, the canonic, like you're saying, give me not this stuff, you down, forehead on the ground. And as soon as my forehead hits the ground, like I'm not in a cognitive place. Like I right away just wanna cry. And I'm just grieved with all that stuff. And no one's telling me I'm a junky, depraved human being. I'm just feeling the texture of my empty talk and my ambition and my despair. And then I stand back up and then it's, but rather give me a spirit of chastity, humility, patience, and love. Give to your humble servant. And then you're down again, down to your knees, down, hands on the ground, forehead on the ground. You breathe. Get up. Yes, O Lord King, help me to see my faults and not to condemn my brother and sister. Oh, damn, my whole chest twists. I've been condemning it like everyone I know in my head all day. But rather, help me to see my own faults and not to condemn my brother or sister, for blessed are you into the ages of ages. Down, hands, forehead. You can't just rush through it like, like most prayers and liturgy. I know that you get down on the ground, you stand up. St. Ephraim smart, you have to say that again. Yes, O Lord King, help me not, help me to see my own faults and not to condemn my brother or sister, for blessed are you in the ages of ages. And then you do a full prostration hand to the ground, you, you cross yourself, and man, that's, that's some good exercise, and it's some good spiritual medicine. And so, if I ever can't get into a place of prayer, that's a really good way to, for me to begin. And even yoga, they say that yoga is, it shouldn't be curative. Yoga was just a physical preparation for sitting in meditation for hours. Mm. And so I think that's a really good way to begin mm. going into quietness is to get into your body mm. and to let your heart grieve mm. and to, to feel the sweetness of humility and love and how much despair and ego is getting in the way. 
helps me get aligned. Mm-hmm. What's your experience with the St. Ephraim? It's similar, just the, the I, I really liked it because, um, yeah, and the, on the second to last one, he, uh, he, uh, did he? <laughs> another fucking, it's like this whole, let's just, whatever, just. Yeah, like on the second to last one, he, um, we, we stay down there and we just sit in silence. And, um, that for me was, was the fruit of it. I love just sitting there just going back up and and it has your body doing something and you're just I just feel really connected as I, as I, as I would repeat these words in my head and my heart would just send shivers up my mm-hmm. body and I loved it I loved it and I I did we did it for the whole time and I, I really got into a lot of the uh, yeah we got into the monastery I mean my first day you, out of you've prison, been to the monastery yeah oh, cool. uh, yeah my first day out of prison I didn't say my first day out of prison I uh I um I didn't even like hug Chris or nothing. I gave him a side hug, but I was just like, I wanted to get out of the prison since mm-hmm. I just got out the hole. And the uh, first place we went to was a monastery in Shelton, and then we stopped there, and that's when I was like, damn. Like, but I was, I was like, damn, I'm like, I'm out. Like, this mm-hmm. is a trip. Mm-hmm. Small, so, small mm-hmm. Dominican monastery. Was that just to, to stop by, or did you stay the night, or? Just to kind of just, de- just de- to detox for a couple okay. hours. Okay, cool. Yeah. It was really good. It was really good. Mm-hmm. It helped me out. It helped me out because the fact that I'm, man, I just came from an isolation, so okay. it gave me some peace. Okay. And then I, you know, I've also been to Bashan Island with Chris. We've been up there. And That's a Russian Orthodox monastery. So, all right. So, so some of the people following along, they don't know much about what I do in prisons, and and big hope is to uh, help the church start to imagine that their own transformation requires, as you were saying, to, to go into the places where Jesus would go. Um, Kenda Creasy Dean is an author that talks about liminal spaces, these these spaces that really require us to stretch and to reimagine what our faith really means. And so, um, and then when we're talking about St. Ephraim and uh, silence, it could, it could all seem really unattainable to someone. So as you guys have been doing this and you're trying to speak back to the church mm-hmm. that doesn't know what to do with silence, doesn't know how to get their body involved, definitely is not ready to go to a prison. What would you say to these people for the first step? What would you encourage them? Um, uh, I've thought a lot about, well, I mean, I've been helped by just the basics of centering prayer, which um, which is basically being silent for 20 minutes and using one word to focus your intention. And to, if you could, the way I'll do it in the jail is really simple, so maybe it helps for all people. I just relearn simplicity in the jail. I'd be like, all right, so take a deep breath, sit down. Now, what if you could only pray with one word, like a little game? Like all the stuff, the blah, blah, blahs, all your desire, all your intention, you had to pick one word, pick it. Don't tell me what it is. All right, now just hold that in your mind. And now we're going to go into some minutes, just five minutes, I'll say, of your mind's going to go everywhere. Most of us are trying to, we love our distractions because going into the chaos of our heads and our pain and our annoying voices, we like to be distracted. So hold on to this one word and maybe 
all that desire just funnels into this one word, and it kind of goes below the storm of words. Um, and we just, I already said too much. Let's just practice it, and then yeah. we'll talk about it. And oftentimes guys will say what Nina's just said. They'll be like, man, I feel good. I'm like, what do you mean if you couldn't say good? Man, I just feel like chill. Like peace? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Like that's, Jesus began all his interactions with his followers like peace, like yeah. kick back, <laughs> chill. Um, he didn't begin with uh, big revelations. Peace, peace. Um, and I, I would just practice that. I'd tell guys on the phone calling from solitary confinement, you know, you don't have a watch, but like, you know, if you have a way of measuring, they'd be like, oh, yeah, between chow and then when the guard comes in, okay, take that and just hold one word. Um, do it for a week. Don't analyze it. Don't give up. Just one week. Call me back next Saturday and how, how to go. And a guy will be like, get a call the next week. And he, he tells me, man, it worked. I'd be like, what do you mean it worked? Um, oh, no, he called me. He was just like, man, I got good-ass news, Chris. <laughs> I'll be like, what? I think maybe he got parole or his girlfriend got back to him. He's just like, man, I got peace of mind. Mm. Like, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, I told you I'd give you that challenge last week. He's like, yeah, yeah, like, I did it. And it worked, doc. And I'm like, what do you mean it worked? And I'm like, how'd, how'd you do it? And he's like, well, I don't know how to describe it. I just feel good. I'm like, what? Come on, describe it. And he's like, well, it's like, you know chalkboards? Yeah, I know chalkboards. Well, it's like that one word. Like the word I chose was just forgiveness. Mm. And I would just say f forgiveness. And I, I, I would just come back to that word and it was like everything on the chalkboard, that word is my eraser. Mm. And all the negative shit in my head just kind of mm. came clean over a few days. Mm. So I mean, if that guy in the solitary for five minutes a day, just, for, just experiment. Mm. Don't analyze it, don't go read a book about it, just start with something. So as you started experiencing some of this stuff, um, what was the word in the facility, in the prison, about what was going on here? What was the reputation that these practices, were guys flocking to this? Or were they like, what? I don't know what to do with this. Um, Chris started that when I was out. So okay. yeah, he started doing that when I was out. So some of the stuff was, um, I, I was I was already released, so I did it on my own. Okay. But, mm -hmm. Yeah, so he... he, he um, He's been doing it lately, and, and, and like like you said, you know, it's something that's really, really like. If you think about it too much, you're just gonna, yeah. you're not gonna do it. You're just. It's it's not, yeah, the whole point is to get out of the head. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're just gonna overthink it. Mm -hmm. So it's just starting little by little because it's hard to get a, a, any homie or anybody in general mm -hmm. to just stop for five minutes. Like right now, like I, my phone is texting. I'm thinking, is it my wife? Is it my something wrong with my kids? And I want to just grab it, but then I'm like. No, chill. Like, mm -hmm. let me just take a minute to just stop and mm -hmm. get this question, get this done. So that's that's just it's the same, you know. We're quick to jump to something else instead of just trying it and starting little by little, maybe two, five minutes, whatever, whatever mm -hmm. it is. But for me, it really helped to do do mm -hmm. long, long sessions just on the fact that I was, I had the time and I was in solitary confinement, and mm -hmm. I knew if I didn't do it, I would go crazy. I would sure. I wouldn't be here right now. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really integrates a lot of my big level thinking and just spiritual practice and, and, and internal healing is when I got to, I found a guy when I was uh, looking into resources, people that are doing monastic practices and lockdown spaces. And there was a guy who's been doing centering prayer in um, old Folsom prison in California where Johnny Cash, you know, famously recorded years ago, 
uh, and he had a little manual called um, Finding God Within, just doing centering prayer with locked up men. Mm. So I, 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 I was emailing with him for a while and I came down and I thought I was gonna write an article on him. I never wrote the article. But I, I went into this old facility, big stone walls, and then you go deeper down. It's on the side of a hill in, in Folsom, the, the hillside there in California. And you, you go further down, you go through another set of gates, and then you go down these these old stairwells and some of the kind of like the gang movies that came out in the 80s were filmed there, old stuff. And you go through this corridor, you go through another chain link fence, further down past the chapel into the old wooden doors. And then there was this chapel where there's just stillness for 20 minutes. And at the end, we had a discussion one of the guys was talking about in this place of stillness at the bottom, you guys coming in here, a new conversation of discovering one another begins. And what I realized was what we had just done as outsiders from the prison, going, descending, descending, and going through all these barriers to reach that stillness and of meeting one another, we were doing the societal version of centering prayer. So for me, for me that way, the macro and the micro are the same, that as we descend through all our inner barriers mm. in silence so we get to know the voices that we've repressed and locked up mm. and prayer can take you into the subconscious mm -hmm. in the same way that i believe prison is society's subconscious mm -hmm. that's where we throw away all the content that we don't want to face our racism our violence our drug epidemic we just repress it mm -hmm. so to descend into society's subconscious is already socially therapeutic mm -hmm. and it's already I don't know, I, I find, I'm trying to find a language that it's the same thing. Yeah. And so to go into your own depths and to hear that clanging loud mess of voices and pain inside mm -hmm. is where centering prayer has to take you. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like the skipping over the pain into the hallelujah, but Christ who descended to earth and into hell itself mm -hmm. and that our prayer needs to go into the Hades inside mm -hmm. and that to go to do prison ministry on top of that is just the incarnate version of doing mm. what Christ is doing mm. inside. So mm. the way all those match is really inspiring to me right now. Mm. My uh, partner, he's the one who started the whole ministry at, at EC Brooks. Uh, we, I've been struggling with him to know what to call what we're doing. I, I, I really struggle calling it ministry because these are some of the best people I know, and I'm not like, it goes back to what you're saying, not saving them, but savoring them. I discover God there, and, and so Joseph flipped it, and he thinks of minus tree. So the whole idea of when we go in, we have to take off all the metal, we have to empty out our pockets and sometimes turn them out. They look underneath our tongues, we take our shoes off. Mm -hmm. We're being stripped, mm -hmm. and uh, so that's what I hear you saying, this this descent, and that's really scary, obviously, mm -hmm. and trying to connect the dots for those um, who are trying to get their heads wrapped around this, that Jesus, when he says that we have to give up everything in Luke 14, he really is serious, and so this emptying of self, this emptying of my mind, this emptying of all my talents, of all of my ambitions, all of my lusts and my greeds. So what I started doing when I was at that church I was telling you about um, was thinking about um, a lot of folks grow up thinking about prayer as just petitions, just listing God this, God this, and that's good and that's a that's that's helpful and God hears those prayers, but but understanding prayer is more about God getting our attention mm -hmm. rather than us getting God's attention. 
because God already has. Um, he already hears us. He's already very attentive to us. So, so that's what I hear you saying is how do we become, whether it's doing burpees with St. Ephraim um, or silence, is trying to create a baseline of awareness so that we can then hear the Holy Spirit. We can notice love. So the follow-up question I was going to ask you, yeah. Neeners, is, you know, the, all this growth, all this change from being inside, what has really stuck in terms of who you are? And can you speak to, like, the troubles of being out? You started to talk about that. You just checked your phone. And, yeah. And uh, so what has stuck? What has been the, the challenge? Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be outside. Um, it's been um, – it's been it's – been, uh, Crazy! I remember my uh, my first day out of prison. I had a check in within 24 hours, and I had a lady uh, from uh, I think uh, what was she? What was Gabby from New York or something? At the time, you're still yeah. on parole? No, no, I'm yeah. not on parole. No. Okay. So she, they had like a warrant issue for my arrest, and so it was just a glitch. But it still, it's, it messed me up, yeah. you know. And then having court fines messed me up. Having the whole Department of Corrections just show up at the church and were trying to arrest me, and I'm, I'm just trying to do my thing. And um, yeah, it, it, it's been a big challenge to not reoffend. But I think that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for not just the folks that came around me, but just a lot of the, the deep process and inner healing that I did while I was in uh, prison for myself and and just the the, the spiritual the, the letting go of spiritual ties I had to folks that you know I, I learned through talking with Chris and, and other um you know, this guy that wrote a book called Can You Hear Me? Um Brad Jerzak. And Brad Jerzak and, and he's just it's just been phenomenal and I'm really grateful for that. Um I don't have a um I haven't had the slightest temptation to do anything, and I'm a, I'm a f- also a former alcoholic. My dad died from cirrhosis. My brother died from cirrhosis. My uncle died from cirrhosis. My grandpa died from cirrhosis. So alcohol was my thing. Like I haven't even had the urge to do anything like that. It's always been just keeping my focus on what I want to do. And working with Chris and doing this underground ministry has been the biggest thing for me. And and you know just hearing all the new stuff going on around and the people stepping up, finally rising up to to help the injustice mm. system and it's just been amazing but yeah I'm, I'm really I'm just grateful it just I love it I love doing this and I love I love God so much that I wake up every Sunday at six o'clock in the morning try to get my kids ready by seven to be at a church at 11 <laughs> and uh, it's it's not even a big church it's a little Presbyterian church called Trinity on Collins and in Sejuili and it's only about 15 or 20 elderly folks and um I love them. They 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 love me so much, and they love me so much, and I love them so much that I was on I was on the bell choir for a while. <laughs> so it's like this 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 is this is this is who I want to be, and this is who I am, and this is how I I, I want to reflect on folks, and I don't want to be anything else but this. I just want to love my church, love my people, and just love God. Like I, I love them so much, man. It's amazing. Good stuff. Any final thoughts? Anything you guys want to dig out? I think you got you got to go. You got to go into the underground if you're going to see resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so, if if we want to get to the Alleluia, we got to go into our own internal underground places in prayer. Mm-hmm. And if we want to see that in communities, 
we, we need to reach into prisons and the incarcerated world so that we can be resurrection communities again. Well, thanks so much for sitting with me and having this conversation. Pleasure. As is the regular discipline of the podcast, before we rush off from the conversation, I invite you deeper into the sacred space to listen. What is stirring inside of you right now? Chris writes in his book, Wanted, I'm interested in how one thing can be used for another purpose. Like a Molotov cocktail, take a liquor bottle usually used for its subduing powers, empty it, fill it with a different substance, fuel, add fire, and when it breaks, it becomes a bomb, a tool for subversion. This creative reuse ethic is the imagination behind all sacrament. Take this ordinary bread, this cheap juice or wine, this broken marriage, unglorious things. Lift them to a mystery we can never fully understand, and you might have the substance of heaven disguised in crude form, something charged with possibility to toss into a mean world. It's how things that don't belong in one place, like a bomb in a disarmed town can suddenly appear. Prisoners, people in captivity, understand this instinctually. They know how to make a tattoo gun out of a tape cassette player, a guitar string, a hollowed pen, and some burned cheese pieces, or hard liquor out of grape juice, dirty socks, and patience. They understand transubstantiation. So as I walked down the corridor towards this isolation wing, I thought about Niner's solitary confinement cell, the drawings on my fridge, the simple, cruel design. There were many of these down at the far end of this corridor. Solitary confinement is the greatest threat leveled at prisoners in our nation, the cross of our age looming against the growing prison horizon. What happens if you go against the regime? You will be left absolutely alone. Across state lines, it has different names. You can catch another program in IMU, be put in ADSEG, administrative segregation, or get tossed in the SHU, security or special housing unit. But whatever it's called, the hole is the deepest pit at the bottom of our system. I wondered then, how Niners had undergone what seemed like such a beautiful transformation in an ugly place. Could the whole itself become something other, be repurposed? Could these cells themselves be hollowed of their punitive power, filled with another more potent substance, lit with divine fire, and so become something subversive deep within the human disposal system? Those early monks who went out to the desert famously cherished T. 
tears as a sign of God's presence. First pray for the gift of tears, wrote Evagrius the Solitary, so that through sorrowing you may tame what is savage in your soul. It was not misery that made Niners crack and tear, but mercy. It is God's kindness, St. Paul wrote in a prison letter, that leads you to repentance. In the months that followed, Niners began to really weep. I know that I've let down my guard, he wrote, and I'm trying to put down all my hardcore attitude and to let go of hurtful emotions. Like a child, bro, a baby who you yell at and who cries. I cry for everything, bro. It's beautiful. It sounded like the cell had been emptied of its intended punitive power since Niners was allowing himself to become increasingly vulnerable in there. You know these anxiety attacks I get? This loneliness? The times I feel betrayed or just lost? I'm starting to let it all open me more to God. If it's yelling at Him or cussing Him out or just asking questions, it's coming from my heart and I'm not holding shit in anymore. Do you want to be transformed? How? Why? And how can you talk with Jesus about this? And so until next time, amen.